welcome to episode 10 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We made it to the big round number of 10. Uh, I think we were always going to get this far, but it's it's a milestone. It's been a mixed week in Blue Jays land. Our name is neither appropriate nor inappropriate today, but it was something of an exciting week because of after all the talk of how no trades are going to get done until closer to the trade deadline because of you know teams hoarding their talent and looking for the best offers, Stoughton... We have a deal. We sure do. Yeah, it was a really interesting, uh, tidy piece of business, as I think I've probably said four times. Uh, bringing in Corey Dickerson, who's on the IL, which is weird, uh, and Adam Simber, uh, who has that funky delivery, which is uh, somewhat delightful, um, in exchange for Joe Panic, getting him out of Charlie Montoyo's uh, uh, way, I guess, or getting making sure that Charlie can't overuse Joe Panic. Uh, and well, as well as a minor leaguer, uh, Andrew McSomething, and uh, and and using their financial muscle a little bit to 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 bring in better players, which is exactly what they should be doing. Yeah, I think you pointed out that is this a huge deal? No, is this you know is this the biggest deal they make? Well, you cer- you kind of hope not, because if yeah. this is the big <laughs> deal, then they've done something wrong. But there are multiple facets to it, you know, even though we can throw away, like you said, Andrew makes something, uh, you know, if he becomes something, sure, whatever. Uh, But there are sort of the three components of it. One is Simber. You know, he's a he's a credible major league reliever. You know, that's Mm -hmm. something that's been in short supply for the Blue Jays at least recently. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I think Blue Jays fans from an aesthetic point of view might be a little bit resistant because of their bad experiences with Darren O'Day. But overall, (laughs) I think they're going to, you know, they'll warm up to him. Those guys tend to just get underestimated just, you know, because they don't throw super hard and you always kind of figure that guys from the other side of the plate are going to hit them well, which has been an issue for Simber early in in his career. And he's kind of improved on that over time. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's the sort of guy where if he had the exact same stats, but he threw over the top and he threw, I don't know, 94.5 with a relatively high spin curveball or something, he would be much more highly valued. So I always like when they take on those type of players who fall through the cracks a little bit. Like It kind of reminds me of Moneyball and uh, I think it was Chad Bradford or whatever who was throwing 85 and the A's were the only ones who believed in him. And we're past <laughs> that, but I still think you get that little weirdness discount. So it's always good to cash in on a discount. Uh, Corey Dickerson is interesting. I know that he hasn't been great this year or even really last year, but the track record is there and they just haven't had, you know, Rowdy Tellez has not really given them anything this year, to be honest. And so here's the first opportunity to get a competent left-handed power bat that can hit tough righties, especially ones who are particularly hard on same sided hitters. What do you see as his role when he comes when he gets that walking boot off and comes back to the Blue Jays? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think I think they're going to use him. I think that I forget. I wish I could remember to credit who uh, was saying it. It might have been Ben uh, Ben Nicholson Smith, but like the, the this is a guy who the Jays had kind of targeted in the off season. They've been looking at him for a while. I think you know Ross Atkins spoke when when he talked to the media this week about you know as he always does about the teammate, the character, et cetera, et cetera. He's got all those. Uh, uh, all those words right in the queue, in the the Atkins bot queue is ready to go with those. Uh, but it's a guy that they really like, obviously, uh, uh, as a person, or think that that's going to make a lot of sense for them. And also, yeah, uh, a lefty batter can 
play the outfield, play first base. He could do what Loris Gurriel is doing uh, while actually, you know, having some more success at the plate against right-handed pitching, I would think. Uh, though Gurriel's, you know, coming on a bit of late. Uh, but he's the guy I think that, that uh, probably suffers the most from Dickerson's presence. Um, and there is, there's a lot of outfielders there. And obviously there's some versatility uh, with Gurriel playing first base, as we saw this week. Um, Dickerson probably could do that as well. I don't know if we're going to see uh, anyone, you know, uh, and, you know, the, the thoughts of, of Guriel perhaps, you know, getting an infielder's glove of, of another nature uh, back are probably not a good idea, but, uh, but that's maybe a possibility as well. I know that he was working out at third in the, in spring training. Um, but yeah, as far as a role, I, now you're making me do math and like think about how how many spots they could devote to position players because they're, they're they're getting a lot that they sort of need to carry at this point. Yeah, I think that I'm a little bit more bullish on Dickerson's potential role. Uh, I think a lot of people assume like, oh, it'd be nice to have a left-handed bat off the bench, and that's kind of what he's going to be. But Gurriel Jr. You know, he's been a replacement level player for, I know, like you said, he's come on a little bit recently, but he's come on a little bit recently, you know, kind of through the, you know, the batting average on balls and play stuff. Like he's still mm-hmm. not really hitting a bunch of home runs. His strikeout to walk is always bad. And this year it's absolutely terrible. Like he's not walking at all. And his fielding for all the great throws, he doesn't, you know, his fielding is bad enough that it kind of cancels that out. And they, I could see Dickerson eating into his time pretty significantly. Like a couple episodes ago, I know both you and and Ben were a little bit, you know, turning eyebrows up at me when I said I didn't feel like Guriel Jr. was a long term starter with the Blue Jays. But these type of deals, like there, there could potentially be a bit of a squeeze here. You know, Springer's back. Hernandez has got to play every day. You know, Grichik he has been struggling a little bit, but he's making a better case to play than mm-hmm. uh, Gurriel has been making. You know, Vladdy's going to play first base the vast majority of the time. I know there's room for Gurriel to slot in there now and then. Um, I think, like you mentioned before, I was always very intrigued by the idea of Gurriel at third base because I thought he's got a great arm. His lateral movement, his actions in the infield were never really the problem. Like he actually mm-hmm. played some okay shortstop for a time. And so the promise of Gurriel used to be he's this guy who we can potentially teach a bunch of different positions because he's a pretty good athlete and he slots into the lineup sort of where he fits. And then that promise hasn't been realized. And now he's been shoved into a non-premium defensive position that he plays poorly. And Mm -hmm. it's a tough situation for him. If they had gotten serious about really teaching him third base and making him and Biggio two players, especially with Biggio's ability to play the outfield, that kind of both tried their hands at that position they'd be in a better spot with them now and it looks like Guriel is in an increasingly difficult spot and I know injuries could change that you know tomorrow but his yeah his prognosis is a little bit murky right now yeah I I think you're right and I think he you know I I don't know if you want to trade him at the low value but I think that's another possibility too right like he's a guy who is going to have value in trade we saw you know Dickerson is, is a a useful player and, and you know, whatever was re- remaining on his salary of eight and a half million dollars, I think, plus there's a signing bonus at the end of November, uh, you know, was enough to, to allow the Jays to get a competent big league reliever as, you know, in order, in exchange for taking on that money. So I, you know, people will, 
Uh, I've seen on the Twitter, and you know, people will be like, "Well, they could, they're probably going to trade an outfielder." I'm not necessarily, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly an option that's open to them. And you know, I, it, I don't think it can be Gritchick because as as much as he's played okay and and deserves the spot better than than Guriel does, uh, the the money in that deal is just not going to make it work. And Guriel's contract, on the other hand, uh, is is quite attractive, and he's a guy with a lot of tools and a lot of skills that other teams. Uh, would be looking for so he's somebody who I think that you know uh, as he's fun he's a guy that you know I think fans really like uh, you know the peanut power stuff and uh, uh, you know when he was hitting better which uh, you know he certainly is capable of and has been capable of I think that you know you really see the shape of uh, of a legitimate big leaguer there but yeah it just hasn't been there this year there is a, this squeeze and I think you're right that you know Dickerson is definitely uh not just here to sit on the bench. Uh, so yeah, that, that might be where they go with that as well. Yeah. It, it's a possibility at the same time, like just cause Guriel, um, you know, just cause potentially he doesn't have those everyday at bats going forward again, by the time Dickerson's back, someone else might be injured. Maybe a girl gets hot. It's hard to say exactly, but just because that could be looming on the horizon, like it's okay to keep a good player not in the starting lineup every day. You know what I mean? Like the Blue Jays bench has been horrible. So the idea of having a Gurriel in reserve is not the worst thing in the world. Like just because in theory his at-bats get into, that doesn't mean that you have to trade him. Now he does have value. He's got a couple years of control, very cheap. Another team could see him as a starter, especially a team that, um, you know, that needs an outfielder, or maybe a team that says, you know, we're willing to try him back in the infield in the offseason, or is that multi-positional player again? You're right, he could be part of a, a bigger trade, but trading him right now is not the best use of his value, and it's just not the worst idea to have a little bit of insurance. And you could explore that deal next year, right? Like, if you feel like it'd be good to have Guriel on the bench, or have Dickerson on the bench, or whatever that looks like, have a little bit more depth with your position players, which they haven't had this year... Um, you can keep them through this year and then take a look next year going forward. You know, did we get an outfielder in the offseason? Is, you know, is Austin Martin looking really good? Do we want to use him in the outfield? Things like that. And then trade him in the offseason, maybe after he's heated up a little bit. I, I don't think there's that urgency of, oh, we brought a player in. Now we've got to ship Gurriel out. No, you're right. But there, I think there are also, you know, uh, Kevin Smith is a guy that's been talked about, you know, obviously a different position there, but, but I think he did play a little bit of left field this week. Um, you know, there, there are, there are other looks that, that you could get where you, you know, internally you still have some interesting options, uh, to move up. You also have, you know, a catching log jam that is about to occur. Uh, so freeing yourself of, a, a you know, opening up a spot on the roster couldn't hurt, but yeah, obviously you don't force a deal with someone. Uh, as talented as Gurriel, and you don't make it just to get rid of that spot or the open one, up that spot. The one name I think we're going to hear a lot of, and we heard it for the first time, uh, kind of quasi officially. It was a, it was a John Heyman, so you know, grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just is Richard Rodriguez with the Pirates. Just we've mentioned before, there's going to be so many rumors linking the Blue Jays and the Pirates, and there's some validity to why, um, but also you know, it's just an easy connection to make. And he's exactly the guy they need. You know, he's a yep. he's a he's a relief ace. He's a high leverage guy. You can call him a closer or not; doesn't really matter. And he's someone who is both a little bit older for the Pirates' perspective. Like even though he's under team control, he's someone who's yeah, he's not twenty one. So 
when that name pops up, is that some? Well, I'm sure is that something that excites you? Maybe that's a foolish question because, like, yes, that's an exciting player. I think the better question is: is that a player that you can see the Blue Jays, you know, putting enough against to actually get that player? Because he's not a guy that you take kind of the little bits on the side of your minor league system and package for guys mm-hmm. who are kind of like he's not a Samad Taylor type of acquisition he's a you've got to actually put something pretty significant against a type of acquisition and we haven't really seen the Blue Jays do that I think you've referenced before Stripling um, Williams was a was a real prospect the pitcher they gave there but generally speaking we haven't seen the Blue Jays kind of dig into their bag and see a guy you can see that happening for I yeah I think so I think that you know it depends what they think of him obviously it depends what maybe where this uh, the spin rates go because I know they've sunk immediately like like a lot of guys and hasn't really affected his uh uh his effectiveness it uh it's just something that you know maybe you want to watch that a little bit longer before you uh you go throwing prospects at the pirates but yeah i, I think he's I, I think he's definitely the kind of guy especially because of the years of control and the fact that the blue jays are very bullish on themselves you know beyond 2021 here uh is a guy who makes a ton of sense and has been very good even though it's sort of different in different ways like the he was I think he's at like eight strikeouts per nine this year. Was at thirteen last year. Was at eight the year before, but was it effective in all three seasons? Um, you know, the strikeout stuff would be good, but he, but he just he he limits hard contact so well that uh, keeps the ball in the ballpark. Sort of, you know, not Simber, stuff Simber does, but uh, on another level, I think, uh, and adds in the strikeouts uh, to <laughs> to enough of an extent that he's in a, a different class. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that, that that should be. If they're not, there's a problem. I think that's exactly the kind of guy that they should be going after. And, you know, I think their farm system is deep enough that unless you're going to the real blue chip prospects, that you should be able to uh, to find somebody who makes sense to, to move to Pittsburgh for that that doesn't really uh, that doesn't really make you feel like you're you're blowing a hole in the system. Yeah, and he's a guy who has those couple of years of control. And like we referenced the Stripling trade, when the Blue Jays reach into that bag of prospects, I think it is going to be someone with that years of control. I just I don't think that the Atkin Shapiro brain trust has it in them to throw that big prospect <laughs> on the table for a rental. Um, right. Even though they you know they've done rentals in the past, but again, it hasn't been that high high end rental. So I all the pieces are coming together. Does you know he's going to be heavily in demand? There's going to be many teams making offers on him in particular does that mean are the, is the blue jays one going to be the best i don't know you can't guarantee that but he's the type of guy i can see them going in on because of the years of control and that link to the pirates front office you know that's just a little bit of extra bonus where the pirates probably like a few guys in their system that aren't you know aggressively highly ranked and so they feel okay um about giving some of those guys up um yeah yeah but you're right you're right i think you know once you get into a bidding war, who knows? You know, it's it's easy to make these connections now and be like, oh, yeah, Sherrington, this should be easy. But you know, if the if if another team, if the Red Sox are offering a better prospect than, and are asking the Jays to do something that they think hurts too much, then they, they may not do it because I, you know, I think that they are still going to be very protective of the system, even if as they're willing to uh, to dip into it a little bit. Like I don't think any of the the top ten names are are going to be moved unless it's for more than a reliever which they don't really need they need relievers 
Well, well they do need relievers, yeah. But I was gonna say you kind of yeah. you make my segue for me because maybe they need a starter as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the last couple of weeks we've seen, you know, Stephen Matz has gone on the COVID IL and now he's returned and he hasn't been great in that that outing. Obviously, that's just one outing, but you know, he w- wasn't super great before that. And the big one right now is Ryu, and like it's not like you're gonna take Rio out of the rotation. You know what I mean? That's not something that's going to prompt a transaction per se, but it does affect the way you feel about your starters, the way he's pitching right now. And it's been kind of alarming for, you know, the last six starts, he's had four fewer strikeouts, eight home runs allowed during that span. That's 35 innings of five, three, five ERA ball. And like the fifth's even worse. Where's your concern level with Ryu? It's, you know, this is, I think this is a thing, and Chris Black did a great thread of Sportsnet, and I think a lot of people have been retweeting that. That's really worth looking at, at just how, you know, the command of the, the cutter and the changeup have, have eluded him, um, and how that's, you know, I think he finished it off wondering, you know, maybe the sticky, the stick, sticky substances, uh, maybe they're helping with command, and it wasn't necessarily a spin thing, a spin rate thing, who knows. Um, but I, I think Ryu in 2019 had a had a, a stretch that was pretty not great, and uh, I, a lot. I'm interested in the fact that this came, this all sort of started after he was on the IL for that uh, for the ass thing, whatever that was. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I've seen him bounce back from it before. We know it, it's just it, I think a guy who's not overpowering it definitely makes you a little more concerned. When he gets hit around, because it's just sort of naturally, it feels like you know a guy up there throwing. It's not slop, but throwing eighty nine and 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 doing it the way that he does. You know, the the margin for error is is pretty thin. Um, so he you know he needs to be exceptionally fine with his command, and uh, it just it hasn't been there. Uh, interesting also the, that it it sort of started when Danny Jansen went away, which is which is. I don't think anything necessarily, but uh, but that that couldn't necessarily hurt either to see him back. Though I don't know if we will see Danny Jansen back, which is another another issue. I'm sure we. I think we will. I think the Jays like him quite a lot, despite the offensive problems. But there's definitely uh, there's definitely a situation, as I mentioned before, a catcher. But yeah, the the real concern is. Uh, it's probably it, you know things are never as bad as they they seem and never as good as they seem. So it, it's probably higher than it should be at the moment. But that's probably dumb because we've seen we've seen him do it before, and I, there's nothing seemingly physically that should prevent him from doing it again. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how the DEFCOM scale works. That's just not <laughs> the world I live in. So I was gonna give that a number. I'll give it a, a color. It's like an orange right now. Um, like you said, the cutter and change of command is his concern. The changeup in particular, like he, he normally gets sort of a 30% whiff rate on that pitch. And this year it's been under 20. That's a big issue. The velocity has dipped a little bit. It's actually been okay in recent starts. I don't, I think sometimes people assume that when the velocity goes down a little bit, it makes a changeup less effective and things get derailed. But, you know, he's down less than half a mile per hour on the fastball overall this year. So I really wouldn't peg it at that. Command things are so hard for us to evaluate from the outside. Like, how does a pitcher... I mean, we can watch the game and see this guy's command's off. But it's hard for us to say, okay, well, how do we? How do you get that back on track? Like, that really is sort of a mechanics, Pete Walker type of thing. And, you know, reuse a guy they probably don't touch that much. 
Danny Jansen might have been a factor. I think, you know, those finesse guys are more reliant on pitch sequencing and whatnot. But also a lot of that comes from, you know, the wristband and whatnot these days. So I, I don't think that, mm-hmm. you know, Reese McGuire has tanked Ryu. Uh, it, it's it's concerning. I, I I don't know that we're going to see that sort of ace level again this season. Maybe it comes back next year or whatever. But even when he was at his best this year, he wasn't quite at that kind of 2020 sort of level. So can he settle back in and be effective for the Blue Jays? Uh, I don't have too many doubts about that. Like, we're not going to see this. This is brutal. But it definitely makes you a little bit rethink how the rotation looks when Ryu is looking more like, I don't know, like maybe he's a three for the rest of the season as opposed to a one. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And it, 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 it sort of changes just how you think about the trade deadline, how you think about the playoffs. I mean, if you're... Uh, you know, if he's not the guy that you want to have take the ball in game one, then where is that guy? There, you know, I guess it's Robbie Ray right now, which is which is cool. Uh, the Jays have hope for Nate for Nate Pearson, but that's obviously down the line, and many more specialist visits uh, to go, I think. And uh, yeah, and so that that I, I don't I don't think, but I you know what do I know? But but I, I it does it has never felt to me like the like a blockbuster trade for a starter is the kind of thing that they're going to do this year. That it feels like that's a bit early. But again, if you get somebody with years of control, then then that's different. But certainly not somebody. Uh, you know, people love to talk about Max Scherzer, which I, I think is is pipe dreamish, but understandable because it's Max Scherzer. I want to take some credit for being one of the first persons to float Max Scherzer. I think I did that on like episode three or four of this podcast, and it was <laughs> it was ridiculed. And it, 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 you know, it probably still should be ridiculed, but uh, but then it did become a part of the discourse. It did, it did, and and as it should. He's you know the, the Nationals. Well, the Nationals are playing a little bit better, but. Uh, but any, anyway, yeah, I, I don't know if the, the, that's going to be their solution. Like, I think they may just just add relievers and, and hope for the best and kind of sort it out next next winter. But again, if there's if a, 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 a truly you know front line starter comes available and they you know they they certainly have the system to do it. It's just a matter of want and a matter of like what they're willing to give up. Yeah, I would be surprised if that happens. Um, but we are going to discuss that with our guest for today, who I think I've done this before. I failed to mention at the top, so you probably read it in the description. But if you just clicked, uh, it's a surprise guest. It's Rob Wong, the host <laughs> of um, Blue Jays Talk, who's always a pleasure to talk about with uh, Blue Jays baseball. So we're going to hear from Rob. Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to tell you about our friends over at Commons. Commons is a documentary podcast from Canada land. Host Archie Mann takes you right into the country's dark underbelly, uncovering stories of crime, corruption, and all manner of misdeed. Previous seasons have delved into Canada's addiction to oil, the powerful dynasties that rule this country, and cops that kill with impunity. Brought to you by Canada land, this podcast will make sure you never look at this country in the same way again. This season, Commons investigates Canada's current obsession, real estate. Real estate is by far our biggest industry and often the only way in which Canadians can build any kind of wealth. And as the property mania of the last year has shown, people are willing to go to great lengths to get even a small piece of it. But our obsession with land is also the source of so many of our problems. From crime to corruption to segregation, Canada's history of real estate is dark indeed. 
Have a listen to the new season of Commons, Real Estate, wherever you get your podcasts. We're joined by Rob Wong, host of Jay's Talk. Uh, it's a new gig this season and an interesting year to start talking to Blue Jays fans. Emotions are high. There have been big swings. Rob, what's kind of surprised you the most about stepping into these shoes and sort of doing battle with the Blue Jays faithful on a nightly basis, for lack of a better term? <laughs> uh, well, go figure. Out of all the years that uh, you know, I finally get to do this full time, we're in the middle of a full-blown pandemic. Uh, luckily, we're starting to, to come out of it here. But uh, it's it's been interesting. Uh, that, that is for sure. I mean, just having done it a, a few times previously, um, you know, in the past when someone like Mike Wilner had to take a day off or he was on vacation. And um, obviously uh, myself and Josh Goldberg, who uh, also does it from time to time with me as well. Uh, we did it in spring training uh, a couple of years ago. So we, we understand. I mean, and even just from, you know, watching and listening from afar, I think anyone can kind of understand what the show is about. I mean, everybody that I think has done it throughout the history of the program from, you know, Scott Ferguson to Scott MacArthur to Mike Wilner to, you know, Bob McCowan, um, you know, on and on and on, the amount of people that have done it in, in previous years. I mean, everybody's got their own style to it. And uh, I have my own personal style. Josh has his own style. Show Ali, who does it, has his own style. But I, I think, you know, what I've um, appreciated the most is that, you know, Blue Jays fans, I think we all understand this um, as Blue Jays fans ourselves, uh, you know, are pretty loyal and they're pretty hardcore. I mean, we, we talk about in the city, the, you know, fan base for the Toronto Maple Leafs or even, you know, the rabid fan base for the Toronto Raptors. I mean, I'm, I would honestly put Blue Jays fans right up there and not even just in Toronto, but of course across the country, as we know, when we see, you know, how fans travel to Seattle and other countries. Uh, you know, one thing you can definitely say about Blue Jays fans is, you know, they're pretty hardcore. I know we like to, to joke about the fans that came aboard, you know, 2015, 2016 during those playoff runs, but, you know, it's a knowledgeable fan base. And I know we like to, you know, make fun of uh, the occasional people that text in or call in with their, you know, crazy trade proposals or, you know, just crazy thoughts on the team. But I'd rather have it that way, right? I'd rather have it that way that, you know, people have all these fanatical ideas about the team than, you know, people just chiming in and saying, ah, tough one today or, you know, good job. Let's see what they do tomorrow. Like, I love the fact that there's a lot of passion within this fan base. Rob, how has the whiplash over the last couple of weeks with the Blue Jays in this sort of horrible situation where it looks like they're sinking towards 500, potentially below with the bullpen imploding? And then we, we all know that the schedule plays a big role, right? But then they start rolling and winning again. How does that affect kind of the, the call? I mean, obviously, it's going to affect the calls you get. How does that affect sort of the rhythm of your show when you see um, the Blue, Blue Jays making these major swings. And I'm sure there's going to be ones later in the season that are similar to this. Well, I think what's been strange about this season is, you know, we really haven't seen the Blue Jays, you know, lose in, you know, too many different ways. And what I mean in that is that they've been in a lot of these games. Um, you know, they haven't been blown out very often. They haven't really, you know, been in these games where, you know, they're done by the second or third inning. I think the, the most recent game against Seattle uh, with the Yusei Kikuchi start, I mean, he pretty much outside of the Marcus Semien home run was able to keep the Jays off the board. And they, they really weren't ever in that ball game. It felt after the first couple of innings, but it's been the one trend all season long. And for a good stretch there in June and, you know, late May, it felt like every single time I was doing a show, we're talking about the bullpen, good or bad, bullpen this, bullpen that. So 
that's that's been the one trend this year and and I understand what you're saying when it comes to to the roller coaster ride but when I think of you know the one trend that uh, continues to follow all of that roller coaster ride is the bullpen for for better or worse because the offense has been sensational this season it's been a top three offense in baseball the starting rotation has been really strong the last uh, month and a bit and you know when I look at this current team I don't even really look at you know, how things went in April and May, because I think it's just a different team now than the one we saw in the first month and a half of the season, you know, because of injuries, because of guys returning, because of guys getting hot and, you know, performing well. I, I honestly don't even think about April and say, you know, let's try to compare this team, to that team, because it's just completely different right now with uh, the way this team is currently constructed. Rob, I want you to know you're not alone in terms of feeling like you have to talk about the bullpen each and every week. That's uh, that's something Stone and I have definitely been going through. You mentioned kind of the crazy trade proposals that you hear from fans. You know, we had our first kind of quasi-significant trade this week that we've been talking about today. What's your take on that trade? And then what do you see the Blue Jays doing at the trade deadline? And if you want to throw in a crazy trade proposal Ooh. of your own, we're not going to say no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it. Like, I don't know how you can be disappointed um, with that being the first salvo, at least for, for this front office. Hopefully it's not the last deal that we see them make as far as additions go. And I, I don't think anyone of us believes it's going to be um, with the, the way this team is going right now. They're going to be in the mix for a playoff spot, whether it's the division, whether it's the, the wild card. But just a great piece of business, you know, giving up a guy in, in Joe Panic who was sort of redundant in his role with this team with Santiago Espinal and you've got Kevin Biggio back now. Um, obviously, you know, a reliever, sorry, Adam McInvale, none of us have ever heard of you. Um, you know, you're uh, like a 30th <laughs> You got his round. name right, though. Yeah. Uh, that, that, we that. totally skipped that today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is a guy that's uh, was 24 years old, I think. If he, you know, ends up pitching in the big leagues, then, you know, kudos to the Miami Marlins for, um, you know, being able to get him there. But you get a guy in Adam Simber who is not an elite reliever by any means, but it's better than what the Blue Jays currently have. And, you know, he's going to come in and be a menace against righties occasionally he's gonna to have to get out some lefties because of the you know three batter minimum of course but um, that's a, a crucial area as we all know that the Blue Jays need right now just someone that can be reliable and you know what you're gonna get he's gonna throw strikes he's not gonna give up a ton of hard contact you're not gonna to have to worry about when you put Adam Simber in there what kind of Adam Simber you're gonna get for that day because there's too many of those question marks going on in this bullpen and the Corey Dickerson part of it is great too you know to get a guy who has historically been really good against right-handed pitching and that's something that this team really hasn't had all season long. You know, we've seen it in spurts with uh, Rowdy Telez where he's, you know, made some hard contact or, you know, hit the ball well and you think he's coming around. Uh, but Corey Dickerson, I hate to use this term because I can't stand it, but it's honestly true. He gives you a professional at bat. Uh, the guy <laughs> the guy is a great hitter against uh, righty pitching. You know, career OPS hovering around 850 uh, against right-handed pitching. So, you know, I think at the very worst, if he's a, a bench bat and a guy that you can bring in a platoon in the second half, half of the season uh you know there aren't uh, many guys like that that you can just find uh, on the ready and to get him in a deal like this uh, i just think it's such a smart piece of business so if we cast it forward to the trade deadline you know one name that we've heard a fair amount is richard rodriguez but are there other guys that, that kind of stand out to you as names and then with the starting pitching like you said it's been great over the last month and a bit but there's a couple holes getting poked in it recently with you know some struggles with mats and Ryu doesn't mean you're going to go get somebody, but that's a little bit more feels more on the table than it did a few weeks ago. What do you see the Blue Jays doing? 
Yeah, I think, you know, reliever obviously has to be front and center um, at the very least. I think, you know, two arms probably. Uh, we're going to see Ryan Barucki make it back at some point. Hopefully Julian Merriweather makes it back at some point. And, and obviously those two guys are big additions. We know Rafael Deliz is probably going to get back to this team before either one of those guys um, do. But even, you know, when Delise was healthy, uh, we talked a lot about the roller coaster ride. That was a guy that was, you know, one of the conductors of the uh, roller coaster ride. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I'm not sure you know what you're going to get when he comes back healthy. And uh, the injury history with Baraki and Merriweather gives you concern even when they're back. So uh, I think at the very least, yeah, you're looking at a couple of arms in the pen. Uh, I think, you know, just to get another starter, um, whether it's, you know, someone that can, you know, jump in there right away, I think it would be great because uh, we don't know how many innings Alec Manoa is going to be able to give you this year. Um, and just to have some insurance because uh, Nate Pearson, of course, has uh, banged up right now with the groin injury again. You know, Thomas Hatch is working his way back, but it's sort of been up and down so far down in AAA. So I'm, I'm immediately looking at arms and, you know, whether you want to swing for the fences and look at a guy like Craig Kimbrell or you want to bring back, you know, Daniel Hudson, you mentioned Richard Rodriguez, like there, there's a myriad of options out there for the Blue Jays to go out and get. And as we know, with their farm system and how stacked they are, they can, you know, fish in any type of waters. They, they can go into the deep end. They can go into the shallow end. They have what it takes to get any of these guys. It's just going to come down to, are they going to be willing to, to pay the price? And I think, you know, if we're looking beyond the pitching, I think another lefty bat would be great. Uh, you know, you want to swing for the fences and go for a, a, you know, literally and go for a Joey Gallo. That'd be great. Uh, I'm not sure his fit is all that perfect at third base because I don't think he's played there for like five years. Uh, and when he was there, he wasn't <laughs> particularly good, but you can only imagine uh, having a guy like that in this lineup and what a difference maker he could be. So um, I, I think, you know, the, the Blue Jays have um, some pretty obvious holes, but I think that's what, you know, makes me feel really confident about this team moving forward. Um, you know, knock on wood, injuries aside, and, and hopefully they can stay healthy is that, you know, they've sort of got the hallmarks here of a really good team in that their, you know, one weakness, if you want to put it that way, is pretty evident. It's the bullpen right now because you feel good about the rotation. The offense, as we said, is phenomenal. So, you know, if you can fill this one hole and plug it, then you're going to give yourself a really, really good chance. You mentioned that sort of the the bat idea of bringing in someone else, partly because you just added Dickerson, who's not ready to uh, contribute yet. Uh, and partly just because the offense is so good. That's kind of on the fringes of this trade deadline conversation. It feels like they're kind of set there. And one of the reasons that is, is because you finally got George Springer back. And George Springer, you know, playing center field and sort of being that central character for you, maybe not as high in the lineup yet as he will be a little bit later in the season. We're finally getting, yeah, the version of George Springer we expected to get. What are you seeing out of him kind of in the early going supposedly 100% recovered from this injury? I think he's, you know, still obviously trying to figure it out. Um, you know, I think he's looked good at times at the plates. You know, he's, you know, drawn some walks, which I think is, has been good, that he's not just out there, you know, trying to swing at everything. Uh, he's made some decent contacts, still waiting for, you know, the power, of course, to, to show up once again. But I just think the fact that he's healthy. And, you know, there was a, a moment in the game the other day against uh, Seattle in the series finale where he had to beat out a ground ball. He was thrown out, but I was like, 
I just like the fact that I don't have to worry about that anymore. The, you know, him running to first base and wondering, oh my God, is he going to pull up lame? Is he going to start hobbling, you know, to first base? I like the fact that I don't really have to, you know, think about those things anymore. Um, and the track record is so, so good that, you know, it's only a matter of time until I think he gets back to where he is. You know, I think the more interesting conversation is with the way Marcus Semien's swinging and with the way Bo Bichette's going and Vladdy, of course, and Teoscar. I mean, what is going to be the impetus for Charlie Montoyo to change that all up? I mean, is a bad week or two for Marcus Semien or Bo Bichette going to be enough for him to say, okay, seen enough. Like, George, you're, you're going back up there because... I mean, that's that's got to be a difficult decision. If you're Marcus Semien, you're thinking, geez, I've been holding down the fort for like two months here. I'm going to the All-Star game and you're taking me out because I had two bad weeks. Like, I'm sure he's a professional and he wants to win and yada, yada, yada. But uh, I just think, you know, this Blue Jays team, one thing they, you know, obviously do, um, you know, consider quite a bit is, you know, the, the chemistry, if you will, and, and the way, you know, guys are, are treated in the clubhouse and, you know, wanting to, to keep a good environment. And I'm not sure that's, you know, the way you necessarily want to rock the boat. As I said, Marcus Semien's a pro. Uh, the guys, you know, hit all over the lineup. I don't think he would be, you know, that butthurt about it. But I just wonder if you're, you know, rocking the boat for the sake of rocking the boat. And, and maybe that's not the best decision. But, you know, that's not something I ever thought uh, that we'd honestly see. And it's because Marcus Semien's been so good that, you know, there's a chance that we may not see George Springer bat leadoff for at least the rest of the season. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, George Springer has been a top 10 hitter in all of baseball over the last two years, and now we're like talking about how do you fit him in the top of an order. <laughs> That's a pretty good batting order when you're having that conversation. And like you said, Semyon's going to be tough to dislodge. Um, I think the way to do it would probably be through Bichette, but I don't, I'm not sure that would be popular. Um, before we let you go, I think you know we got to take a, a beat to talk about Vladdy for a second. And one of the things that's been interesting, I mean, everything's been interesting. You can kind of dissect every little improvement he's made, and there's been a ton of them. But now we're starting to have this bigger conversation about, you know, is Vladdy, does he have a chance at the MVP in the context of what's going on with Otani? Maybe that takes an injury or not. That's taken a second turn, I think, in the last couple of weeks where people are saying, is it premature to talk about the MVP race? We're just hitting the halfway point. Where are you with the Vladdy MVP conversation right now? Should fans be chanting it if, uh, if Vladdy comes to the plate? Uh, I, I mean, they definitely should. They, they, should be, they should have been chanting it uh, weeks ago with the way um, he has gone this season. I, I'm honestly the worst person to ask about this because uh, I'm a massive Shohei Otani fan um, as well. I've been on the record saying just give them both the, the award right now. Let them, let them share it because it's, it's truly remarkable that – a guy, you know, as it stands right now, coming into tonight's action, Vladdy's putting up a 193 WRC plus on the season. And he's not the unanimous MVP. Like, how ridiculous is that? And it's because we're watching a guy doing something that we've only seen really one other person do. And uh, I don't think anybody was alive, in fact, still, that uh, <laughs> saw when, you know, Babe Ruth was doing what he was doing with the New York Yankees and doing it this day and age with, you know, everything going on with, you know, the, the way that the pitchers are going. And I know, you know, spin rates and sticky stuff and all that stuff. But uh, still, regardless, for Shohei Otani to be doing what he's doing at both sides 
of the field at the plates and uh, on the mound, of course, is something, you know, we've never seen. And what's crazy to think is that he's going to keep doing this for at least the next three, four, you know, five years. And maybe Vladdy's going to keep doing this for the next, you know, five to 10 years. And we're going to have to keep having these conversations of, okay, well, you're going to give it to Vladdy this year. You're going to give it to Shohei Otani this year. Like, what are we going to, Mike Trout's back. Like, what are we doing here? So I think, you know, as it stands right now, I give the slight edge to Shohei Otani just because it's just, a unicorn. It's just one of those ridiculous seasons. But, you know, if Vlad's, you know, hovering around a 190 WRC plus one once again, and, you know, the Blue Jays are in it, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I think what actually is going to be the most interesting part is um, what if Vladdy, you know, wins the Triple Crown and Shohei Otani does what he does? Like, then what do you do? Like, people are going to look back at this year and think, oh my God, you didn't give it to the guy that won the Triple Crown and, or oh my God, you didn't give it to the pitcher that struck out 180 guys and hit 40 bombs? Like, what are we doing in 2021? Like, it's just something I don't think we'll ever see unless uh, we're going to see it again in 2022. <laughs> right. Rob, you make a, a good point about the co-MVPs. Uh, at the first second I heard that, my mind rejected it. But I, I think back <laughs> to some precedent here. 2003 NFL MVP shared by Peyton Manning and Steve McNair. Oh, so yeah. If, if they can do it in the NFL, you know, 18 years later, maybe they can consider it uh, in baseball as well. <laughs> Rob, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk Blue Jays baseball with, with you, whether I'm asking the questions or answering them. And uh, it was great having you on. Awesome, guys. I'd uh, love to do it again. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, I mean, I, that was uh, Rob's idea about the co-MVP. That is growing on me. I know that it's very difficult to do because you have the voting that has kind of the different number of points for a different amount of time. So not amount of time, different placement. So it's very unlikely to happen. But that would be cool to see something like that because it is true. Both those players, presumably, they have to kind of continue at this level. And there's a threat of either of them. You know, Vladdy's never shown this before. I think he's obviously an incredible hitter, but he could regress slightly. Otani, I'd love to see him never get injured, but he is an increased injury risk because of the nature of what he's doing. So, you know, it might be at the end of the season, one of them is pulled ahead or the other, or they're both hurt. Who knows? But I do like the idea that if it ended today, hey, why, let's reward both players because, you know, they've both been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's pretty remarkable, for sure. And also something that Rob mentioned is just how unavoidable a bullpen conversation is. And I know on this podcast, sometimes we've sidestepped a few because it's felt repetitive. But there was some weirdness that we should probably touch on this week in terms <laughs> of the transactions uh, the Blue Jays made. And, you know, getting sending down a couple guys in Castro and Piams who've been... You know, Castro's has up and down, uh, but had looked all right in his most recent outings. And Piamps has been pretty reliable in, you know, a relatively low leverage role. And then, you know, keeping Trent Thornton right where he is and having him pitch in big moments in a way that really cost them is confusing. And it's one of those things where 
you know, I think I sent a tweet about is like his ERA had been okay, but like nothing else of the way he's pitched has indicated that he's rolling this year. And so, you know, I think he became one of those guys that Montoyo trusted disproportionately to how good he was. And that's a problem. Like that is to some degree kind of the role of a front office and you don't want them to pull all the strings, but I think you do want them to get in the ear of the manager and say like, you're going to this guy a lot and we don't have faith in him. And, you know, you could say that about Joe Panic too. And, you know, they got <laughs> yeah. rid of Joe Panic, right? Like, he's one of the worst hitters in baseball. Let's not play him at first base. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Trent Thorne's a less extreme version of that, and they haven't had great alternatives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, he is kind of an example of, yes, the bullpen situation has been bad. Yes, it is not all Montoya's fault because he hasn't always had good options to go to. However, he's still within that context done some dubious managing yeah i think that's absolutely correct and it, it is on the front office to me to like i it, i hesitate to to be like oh you know castro and piamps that 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 would solve everything if they just kept those two guys like those two guys are are though they have been reliable this year so far most times they're not reliable guys and i but i also wonder like how much of Trent Thornton still being here is like, you know, he pitched his ass off in, in 2019 for the team. And then, you know, they it, it's, is he just like, he's a big leaguer, quote unquote, and they, they don't want to send him down? I don't know. I mean, they, they're, they're getting to the point where they're going to have to, uh, I think. But that, that was bizarre. And that's one of those situations where, yeah, the front office can step in and send him down and take it out of Charlie's hands to keep going to this guy. And, and Patrick Murphy... Similar situation. I mean, he's been disappointing. He looks the part of a of a you know a, a reliever. It looks like he has has the tools to do that, but he just hasn't been getting it done so far. And and that obviously that that probably ought to stop as well. And and you know it's going to be a moot point when when Baraki and uh, Merriweather and Dolise return, which should be soon. I think like rehab assignments are starting, and 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 we're we're really getting there. Uh, but yeah, that was a weird one. And then the, then you have Ch- Tyler Chatwood also melting down on Thursday night uh, or Thursday afternoon, which uh, unsurprising, though also you know I think you know people are quick to to pull the DFA card, and it's like, well, if he was on waivers, you would be like, you have to claim that guy. Like there, he was so good, he showed you what he can be. Uh, I think you have to let him figure it out. I think you carried you know Shun Yamaguchi all last year. Uh, you can find a way to keep Chatwood and try to get something, get him back on track because he was real good when he was good. Yeah, you've got a bloated bullpen here by design, and you also have an offense that's good enough to put you in a few of these laugher games, and that gives you the opportunity to get a guy like Chatwood back on track. And as you mentioned, he's shown what he can be. He has the tools. Trent Thorne's not the same situation, right? Like he's someone who was a starter. He came to the bullpen, and his stuff has not played up as a reliever. Uh, and that's a problem. And, you know, Joey Murphy, uh, not Joey Murray, Patrick Murphy. I always confuse those two. Patrick Murphy, like you said, he looks the part. He has the stuff. I understand a little bit of patience with him. But again, you know, the game, every game matters. And the patience, you know, you can have him develop more AAA. Uh, he hasn't had the most experience. Like them going back to him after he takes that loss was a little bit of a confusing move in my book. And then they're giving Sacedo... Um, you know, quite a bit of run here, which is okay. But you make that point about like, you know, is Trent Thornton a big leaguer and then they don't send him down? Well, you're a big leaguer until you're not. Like, 
Rowdy Telez was looked like a big leaguer coming into the season. Like it was hard to envision him going down to AAA, and they sent him down to AAA because he's got options and he's not performing. And like I don't want to keep harping on Thornton like that's sort of the singular problem here. Um, but you know, it's an example of them kind of shooting themselves in the foot in the context of a bad situation. Like this wasn't going to be a great situation no matter what, but you can do a better job of making the best of it. And it doesn't seem like they're always making the best of it when they make moves like that. Piamps in particular, I, you know, he's someone who gave them length as well. And, you know, he'll probably be back at some point. And I know these moves, um, you know, they happen all the time. There's a roster churn that's going to happen at the back end of this bullpen, even as people get healthy. But every day where you have the wrong bullpen, for lack of a better term, is a day where you have a slightly higher chance of losing. And the Blue Jays are living on the edge of playoff contention. And when you make kind of roster management mistakes, uh, you give yourself a lesser chance of winning games, even if it's a slightly, you know, it's a razor thin margin. Cool. But, you know, it might be that the Blue Jays at the end of the season miss the playoffs by one to three games. And these are the type of things that can affect, you know, one to three games. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get out of here, let's uh, cast ahead to the to the series we've got this weekend, which is the Tampa Bay Rays. Nobody likes to see the Tampa Bay Rays. They feel a little bit less intimidating now than they were earlier in the season. You know, this is a team that lost four consecutive games to Seattle Mariners, who are one of the worst winning teams you can imagine. Blue <laughs> just Jays, beat the Jays a couple just times. Just beat the Jays a couple times. But, man, the Mariners aren't a good team. Like, even when you watch those games, like, the Blue Jays, I, I don't know. Like, Kikuchi, for instance, is a good pitcher. I don't want to say there's no talent on that team. But the Blue Jays kind of shot themselves in the foot, not capitalizing on games with the Mariners at home. Like, that, yeah. those are losable on the road when you have fatigue and all that but anyway the Tampa doesn't feel like the same Tampa you know Glasnow is down that's a good example of um, you know a concrete thing but they also just haven't been playing as well Um, in terms of what you're going to see this weekend we can appreciate Rich Hill uh, you know Dick Mountain uh, as it were (laughs) at the age of 41 he's given the blue uh, he's given the Rays like 82.2 innings this year of like pretty good baseball which I don't think anyone saw coming when he was signed you know, he, he breaks down all the time. He gets blisters. He's old as hell. Um, but, you know, he doesn't throw hard. But he's still got that curveball. He still makes it work. And he's fun to watch. Like, at a certain point when guys reach a certain age, especially as we ourselves as fans get older, uh, it's easier to identify with these players who are, you know, just hanging on. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think Blue Jays fans are going to hope that Rich Hill, you know, gives them six good innings against the Blue Jays or anything. (laughs) But it's okay to take a second to look at the guy on the mound and think, you know, this is a pretty cool story. This is a pretty impressive guy. And then they've got the flip side of that, which is this is our first look at Wander Franco. This is the post-Vladdy consensus top prospect in baseball. And he's, he's a bit of an interesting one because he's not that incredible, flashy tools all over the place Fernando Tatis Jr. He's more of that does every single thing well, which is incredibly valuable. Like he just doesn't have weaknesses, plays good shortstop, makes contact, hits for power, good discipline, probably won't lead the league in any particular category. So over a three game series, you might not see things in Wander Franco where you're like, wow, this is the next superstar of the league. But what he's doing at his age, reaching the major leagues and what he's able to do is, uh, yeah, it's just another building block for the Rays, as if they needed one. Yeah, it is. 
extremely disappointing to see the Rays uh, continue to produce talent like that. And yeah, he is a, he's a, a huge talent. As we know, you know, it, 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 it may not all come together for him in, in year one or necessarily year two. Uh, but I wouldn't bet against it at this point. And uh, yeah, nobody likes to see the Rays. Uh, and the Jays, it, it's it's been interesting. You know, we were talking, you were talking with Rob about you know the uh, the roller coaster and and uh, and the whiplash of the last few weeks. It's uh, it's also very noticeable. Uh, you know, despite the Mariners being a team that beat them uh, in this most recent series, uh, that they've beaten up on bad teams, and I think their record against teams over five hundred is is not good. Uh, so there, there's there's still some more tests for this Blue Jays team to pass. Even though the you know the run differential looks good, the offense looks good, the rotation is sort of stabilized, and you know the bullpen's still a mess. But uh, you know the Rays are are an important test, and it's also you know an, an important series in terms of just the the division. You know things are starting to shape up. The playoff race is starting to shape up, and it's a little early to get too worried about stuff like that. But also. Man, you really, you really would like to beat the Rays for for multiple reasons, uh, which I guess you could say about any series ever, basically. But but in particular, you would like to to see them do well and see them play play well against a good team and actually close out games, which has been such a nightmare for them against the Rays in particular. Yeah, and as you point out, the race is shaping up a little bit, and there is a scenario where to make the playoffs, you've got to come second in the AL East, right? Like the mm-hmm. AL West with the Athletics and the Astros being two quality teams could produce the other wild card. So I think sometimes a lot of Blue Jays fans look at the standings and think, okay, well, let's say it's Red Sox and Rays in some order, and we both have our doubts about the Red Sox long term, but you can flip the Yankees up there, right? So like, whatever, yep. whatever it is then if the Blue Jays come in third, they'll face that other team. And like that AL West is lurking out there and you might need to put some wins in against the Rays to overtake them if you want to make the playoffs. And these these series matter a lot. And the Rays are kind of the team, if you look at their schedule coming up, that they're, they're facing a lot of sort of dubious teams like the Rangers and more games with the Orioles and stuff. And the Rays are the team that's kind of breaking those series up. And so having some success against the Rays in the next month or so is going to be yeah it's going to be really important especially to kind of keep their momentum rolling into that trade deadline create that belief give the front office more and more incentive to make these significant upgrades and yeah if you if you can't beat the Rays you're not going going to go very far and we saw that last year the Rays were the ones who stopped them in the playoffs so uh yeah they they need to have success against this team they absolutely do All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Happy Hour, wherever you're listening, um, subscribing, and leaving reviews. Everything you do, we appreciate, and we will see you next week.